are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 129, part two on the Craigslist killer, Richard Beasley. We left what you. What a sad story. Yeah, and we left you on quite the cliffhanger. We really didn't give too much away last week, so you had to come back for more. Yes. Gotta know the end, and you don't know the end. I don't know the end. This is a nail biter. I tell you what. It is. But before we get into it, we have just a few things business-wise. Number one. Like, share, subscribe, please. Nah, do it. Uh, we are really close to 100,000 downloads. Ooh, that's and when exciting. I say, when I say close, I mean like 5,000 off. We're like at 95,000. So it's going to be a minute. <laughs> it's going to be a minute unless you like, share, subscribe, and more people listen, and then we'll hit it faster. Yes, we would. And then maybe we'll do a giveaway. Yeah, we should do a giveaway. I feel like that. it's been a minute and that's a good milestone. It is. Let's do it. Okay. So this is on you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the more you like, share, subscribe, the faster we will get to our giveaway. And it, we won't make it difficult to enter. No. Probably like like, share, subscribe like you're supposed to do in the first place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, uh, episode suggestions. Yes. We want them, and you have them. We've gotten some good ones. Yeah, we have. We have them. We've done every single one of them. So if you, I mean, unless it's not like crazy stuff. And and when I say we've done them, they are either done or on the list to be done. Yeah, because we got some good suggestions to be done. To be done. And if for some reason you're not seeing your episode that you suggested, just let us know because we do forget things. But I think Mm -hmm. we got everybody locked down. So thank you. We do forget things. And then we got a new patron. So we want to say thank you to Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. We hope you're enjoying all that extra content. You can subscribe to our Patreon for a $2 or $5 tier at patreon.com backslash mystery history podcast bam i I like the head slash that you were doing (laughs) all right oh goodness well let me get them caught up on part one and then i'll let you get started on part two so in part one we learned about Scott Davis, right? He applied for a job on Craigslist to be a caretaker at a 688-acre ranch. Very important. Very specific. Not um, a lot of 688-acre ranches. It is very specific. I still don't get that. But hey, <laughs> that's what he said. Um, anyway, he applied for the job and got it. Went to go meet his employer. Was going back to the to the ranch where he was supposed to be working. And... He turned around to see a gun pointed at his head. And luckily, that gun misfired or didn't fire, jammed. Mm-hmm. And but then he was shot in the leg. But it's better he, than in the back of your head. Yes, definitely. Farther away from all the important things. Um, <laughs> brains. Yeah, brains are the heart. Stay away. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he got shot in the leg, but he made it out. And he fled and was was alive. Um, Thank goodness. Yes. Now we then learn about David Pauly, 
who also went missing after he took a job as a caretaker at a 688-acre ranch, folks. Suspicious. Very suspicious. His best friend, Chris, they used to talk on the phone like walkie-talkie 50 times a day at least. Like how me and Allie used to be in high school. (laughs) Best friends for life. Uh, So whenever Chris didn't hear from David, they had plans. And uh, he actually called David's new employer. um, And he answered the first time, the stupid guy, Jack, who was supposed to be Mm -hmm. the employer. He answered and said, oh, yeah, he's good. And then still nothing from, from David. So Chris called back a second time. And then Jack says, hey, you know, David, he left to go to Pennsylvania to go work on a drilling rig, but he'd never let anybody know. No, he did not. (laughs) Not typical. So like we said, this employer was named Jack and he had a younger nephew, which he called his nephew with him named Brogan. So those are the facts. That's what we know at this moment in the game. So moving into part two. The detectives also found a second grave, but oh, yeah. it was empty. Oh, fun fact. Oh. There was a body that was found. <laughs> that's a that's a key point. Um after and- the police came looking for no, after the man who fled. Yes. They he yes. then went to they went to the area. They were digging in the soft ground because it was raining and then blood started pooling. They were digging with their hands because they didn't have anything. So that's gross. Um, but yeah, they were digging and they found the blood and then they dug a little bit deeper and they found a foot. Mm-hmm. And it was connected to a body who had a bracelet on him that then David's sister was able to confirm was his. So, sorry, that is all you need to know. (laughs) Okay. Now, back to the detectives also found a second grave, but this grave was empty, which means that that was meant for Scott, Mm -hmm. our friend who got shot in the leg and made it out. Now they knew they were looking for a murderer, and by early the next week, they identified the man who was seen eating breakfast with Scott as Richard Beasley. Cyber crimes were able to find the IP address of the ad and saw it went to a computer at a small house in Akron. When investigators arrived at the home, they found Joe Bass, who said he hadn't written any ads and didn't know Richard Beasley or a Jack. Yeah. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. But they showed him a picture, and he recognized the man who called himself Jack, saying he knew him as Ralph Geiger. He had rented a home or a room from Joe for $100 a week until recently. Joe said he was a really nice guy. He didn't smoke, cuss, or drink, and he went to church. Joe said he had left him a note with his new cell number, so they had Joe call the phone, which he answered. He was able to keep him talking long enough for them to trace the cell. Wow. Wow. So he's three people. (laughs) A Jack, a Ralph, and Richard, who the police know him as. Mm Mm-hmm. And this poor Joe had no idea who this man was. 
living in his yeah. house. And how scary would that be for police to just show up at your house and be like, we traced the IP address of a murderer uh-huh. to here. And then think about like that creepy feeling of like that guy was living with me and he's a murderer. <laughs> like, yeah. holy. Ugh. Yeah. November 16th, an FBI SWAT team arrested a man outside an another Akron house and he'd been renting since he left Joe Joe's house, right? The suspect was Richard Beasley. Even though investigators didn't know it yet, Ralph Geiger was the name of Richard Beasley's first victim. Dun dun dun. Uh, uh. Yeah. Uh, investigators' next move was to track down the teenager who was with him, his nephew, so he called, uh, Brogan, who had been with Scott and Jack, now known to be Richard, at their initial meeting. Uh, Brogan Rafferty was a junior at Stowe Monroe Falls High School. They interviewed him in the principal's office while investigators searched his house. Crazy. He didn't use a fake name? No. And, like, if you, like, call this kid your nephew and you're not saying, hey, you need to change your name. Like, for this job, you're going to be Steve. Right. What a dummy. Yeah. Oh, Um, man. (laughs) So Richard Beasley, a.k.a. Jack, a.k.a. Ralph, was born in 1959 in Akron and raised by his mother, who was a secretary at a local high school, and his stepfather. He was briefly married and had a daughter named Tonya, Tanya, depends, who was around Rogan's age. Over the years, he was a machinist, but his work history was interrupted by times he spent in jail, which is never good. He he served from 1985 to 1990 in a Texas prison on burglary charges. And starting in 1996, he did another seven years in a federal penitentiary for a firearms offense. Dang. Yeah. But neither of those are violent crimes. I mean, no. Yeah, I feel like firearms just means you have something you shouldn't have. Right. And this is in Texas, right? No, this is in Akron, two and a half hours oh. from our house. Why was he in a Texas prison? And, and I was about to say, what do you have to do in Texas to get a firearms offense? <laughs> now, that could be true. So he didn't say, but he might have lived in Texas, and maybe that's where the charge happened. But currently, when this Craigslist killer business was going on, he was it in was, Akron. Right. Yeah, right. Huh. In the mid-2000s, a dump truck hit Beasley's car and he suffered head, chest, and spinal injuries. He had just returned to Akron from federal prison where he told everyone that he had found God and was spending a lot of time at a local megachurch called The Chapel. After the accident, he started taking opiates for his back and neck pain and he stopped working. Brogan's father, Michael, knew Beasley from the local motorcycle circuit and said that Beasley was lazy lazy even before the accident. He was always known as having some sort of angle he was working and was a scam artist. Mm. So he's trying to get out of doing life right, basically. Yep. Beasley spent most of his free time at the chapel where he went to Bible study and worked in a soup kitchen. You think he's working an angle here? Probably. Like, who can I steal from when they're sleeping on their cot? (laughs) Right. 
at the age of eight, when Brogan said he wanted to start going to church on Sundays, his dad said it was okay to go with Beasley. Michael was a single father, and he knew Beasley was a little slimy, but felt his son would be safe with him. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's one thing to have, like, you know, be trying to rob people. (laughs) But it is a scam artist versus a killer. Yeah. Or a child Mm -hmm. molester or something. Right. For the next eight years, Beasley was around the Rafferty house a lot. He would pick up Rogan for church and sometimes would even bring his own daughter, Tonya, Tanya, or Brogan's half-sister, Raina, who was three years younger than Rogan. Brogan. <laughs> Struggle bus. <laughs> uh, Beasley was a mentor to Raina and her brother. Raina said that he would sneak them leftover donuts or take them to McDonald's just to talk with them about the importance of school or the danger of drugs. He said so, the Bible... What? He was trying to be know. good. Yeah, he sounds all right. <laughs> I do think that they were safe with him in that regard where he wasn't going to hurt them. But then what happened between here and when he brings Brogan on missions to murder with him? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is terrible, but he was a scam artist, essentially. That's why he was murdering people. So it's, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't know either. Give me the danger of drugs. I don't want the (laughs) lessons in murder. Yeah, for for (laughs) sure. Yeah, it's just it. It is seems like it seems like a very far jump from one to the other. But I guess if you're desperate, you'll do desperate things. Um, Mm -hmm. So anyway, he says he wrote um, in a Bible he gave to Brogan. He said the Bible is the key to peace of mind and a roadmap to salvation. Skip to the part on murder. Right. Go right on over there. (laughs) Right. Uh, in, in 2000, oops, uh, in 2000, in 2009, Beasley founded a kind of halfway house to help reformed addicts, runaways, and prostitutes. He would cruise the streets of Akron at night and pick up the strays, letting them stay at his house. They were in trouble with the law. He would vouch for them in court, saying they had turned their life over to Christ. So that's all good things. I just don't see how this goes into who he is yeah now well let's talk about the next part okay (laughs) amy saller one of the kids beasley picked up on the streets while prostituting seemed like savior at first he had gotten all of them cell phones but not long after that started pimping them out never mind here we go yeah never mind (laughs) yeah he would advertise them online and drive them to meet john's Saller said that Beasley would do anything with his power, including buying drugs to keep the girls in the house. So he was supposed to be a halfway house for them and instead started supplying and has now become a drug house. And she a said she, pimp. yeah, and, and that, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously is, I mean, I don't know what's worse, whatever. <laughs> There's yeah. no worse. But yeah, he's just a bad guy. Um, so Saller said she uh, never saw him get violent, but she was still afraid of him. So even without ever having to get violent in front of her, she was still scared that he was violent. Mm-hmm. Yep. 2011, Beasley was arrested in Ohio for a list of drug-related charges. 
While he was in jail, investigators were building a prostitution case against him. He was released on bond in mid-July. He failed to check in with authorities in Texas, where he was on parole for earlier crimes, so they issued a warrant for his arrest, and he was on the run from the law. Yes. So that is the why, mm-hmm. which is stupid. Uh, Beasley wanted to disappear, and he distarted decided to start targeting unemployed middle-aged white men one week after arresting brogan they made a deal with him and said that if he agreed to testify against beasley he would only be charged with complicity to murder and attempted murder for david Polly, and scott davis he would not be charged with the other two homicides that had now been uncovered later uh, Brogan would back out of the deal, but the plea deal interview was recorded, so the judge allowed it to be played at the trial. Whoops! <laughs> this guy's an idiot. Yeah, so a we kind of went idiot. <laughs> so we kind of we kind of went back to you know into Beasley's life, but we where we left off from there, they were searching his his house, Brogan's house. So they found some stuff, and that he was arrested. So now he's. He's being held there. Um, The first week of August 2011, Beasley had told Brogan that he needed his help to survive and he didn't want to go back to jail. He needed a new identity and he began hanging around local homeless shelters searching for somebody that looked like him. So that's just a bad day if you look like this guy. So Beasley met Ralph Geiger, who had been um, a thriving business owner for many years, but the business just dried up. So he was 56 and was staying at a shelter looking for work. Uh, Brogan told investigators that Beasley said he needed a new identity and this guy looked similar to him and that he needed to somehow murder him. Gosh. Ew, this guy is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. On August 9th, they drove Geiger to the same wooded spot they took David and Scott. After they got out of the car, Beasley raised a pistol and shot Geiger in the back of the head. Brogan said when he saw Beasley kill the man, he lived in a state of fear and panic, terrified he would kill his mother or half-sister Raina if he told anyone what had happened, or that maybe Beasley would kill him. I'm sure you're terrified. You're just a kid. But he knew before. I think he knew. Yes, I think, yeah. It's one thing to say something and then another thing to do it. I don't know. I mean, he should have known that he was definitely going to do it when they got him in the car and drove him out to somewhere secluded. Yeah, it could be something like Brogan thought that he owed him because he kind of took him under his wing and took him to church or I could I could see where they've probably built up a really strong bond. And if he's your mentor mm-hmm. and he's telling you, let's go kill this dude, you're gonna be like, well, he wouldn't steer me wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that's wrong. This is just crazy. And then that he continued to have to be involved. Yeah. After that. For no yeah. good reason, like no good reason to have him there. Just no, he had to be there then. I think he probably helped him bury the body, I would assume, because Beasley shot him. Mm-hmm. So maybe just moving the body. I don't know. I feel like that's something. If you're going to kill somebody, start working out your arms and your back and do it yourself. 
Right. So Brogan didn't tell anyone about the murder, but he wrote a poem on August 16th, 2011, that was found on his hard drive called Midnight Shift. Here it is. We took them out to the woods on a humid summer's night. I walked in front of them. They were going to going back to the car. I didn't turn around. The loud crack echoed and I didn't hear the thud. The two of us went back to the car for the shovels. He was still there when we returned. We He threw the clothes in a garbage bag along with the personal items. I dug the hole. It reached my ma- waist when I was in it, maybe four feet wide. We put him in with difficulty. They call them stiffs for a reason. We showered him with lime like a satanic baptism. It was like we were excommunicating him from the world. I thought there would be extra dirt. He wasn't a small man. There wasn't. I don't know how we drove out of there discarding evidence as we went. Felt terrible until I threw up in the gas station bathroom where I was supposed to throw away the bullets and shell. I emptied myself of my guilt with my dinner, but not for long. When I got home, took a shower hotter than hell itself, prayed like hell that night. Wow. That's basically just a confession. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> More than hear a poem. <laughs> I didn't hear poem vibes from that, but I mean, it's, yeah, it is a confession for sure. Very detailed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He probably is regretting this about now <laughs> that he wrote this. Yeah. According- <laughs> yeah. Um, according to Brogan's parents, he became moody that fall, but they couldn't figure out what his deal was. He later told his mom that after homecoming, while all the other kids were having fun, all he could think about was crashing the Buick his dad had bought him so he could join his grandmother who died a few years earlier. That would be heartbreaking as a parent to have your kids say that. He didn't wreck the car, but stayed in his room and just waited on Beasley to call him. Like, so he was just, that's all he was doing is okay so this kid is not a bad kid no i don't think so which also you know makes sense that he was so dumb with crime yeah because he wasn't a criminal right he was a scared teenager yeah who was just trying to make this who was probably trying to just make somebody proud or, you know, like appease his person. I don't know. I don't even think it's that with Beasley. I don't even think it's that. He seems scared to me. He is scared that if he tells anyone or goes against this, that he's going to die or his Mm -hmm. family is going to die. Like, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't even seem like he's trying to appease Beasley to me. Just a hundred percent fear. It could be well, and and Beasley is a very large man, very large, um, fat. Well, and he's close to this kid and his whole family. It's not like he's a stranger. So if yeah. he decided to do that, it would be all too easy. It could be something as simple for Beasley as because he's heavy, he didn't want to dig the hole, and he made the kid do it, and that was all. I mean, yeah, if I you don't really understand why he brought this kid into this, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, that's a that's a bummer. Um, Beasley was busy trying to reconstruct his life as Ralph Geiger. 
He dyed his hair brown and found a room to rent. He went to the doctor to get a prescription for painkillers for injuries he sustained in that car accident back before. In mm-hmm. September, he landed a job as a quality inspector at a company that made lift gates for trucks, but it didn't last long because of his back. He became worried his parole officers would catch him and he needed money to survive. The Geiger killing had gone smooth enough, so he thought he could just make a career out of preying on men who were in a tight spot that had things that he could oh. sell. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't remember in, the, in part one... He like Scott had a Harley. He had tools. He had things that Beasley could then take and sell. Um, so that's what he was looking for. Somebody with no ties, no wives, you know, hopefully no kids. Uh, but he failed that one. Um, because I think this guy is so lazy. Yes. Yes. It's easier to murder somebody than to get a freaking job. Like get, if your back hurts, get a desk job. Right. This. Oh. He turned to Craigslist to post ads and needed men who were down and out, but who had possessions worth killing for. Sunday, October 23rd, David Pauly drove his U-Haul and drove to a breakfast meeting to meet his new employer. He fed his cats and told his dad he was heading out for a job digging drainage ditches and told him he loved him. Beasley and Brogan went to Kmart before their meeting with David and bought a couple of shovels and drove to the spot not too far from where they had buried Geiger and dug the the grave for David. Before they left, Beasley put $20 under a rock, and if it was gone when they had come back, he'd know that someone had been there. That's actually actually not the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's pretty uh, pretty smart. That's very smart. And super sneaky. You'd think a man in that position, $20, that's a lot of money to him, you know? Yeah. He's got to make it worth somebody going over and picking up. Ugh. After their breakfast meeting, Beasley had David follow him to the Emporium in Caldwell, where he left his truck and trailer. He told him the same story he would later tell Scott about the road being washed out. In the Buick, David asked him about the job, and Beasley told him it was honest pay for honest work. When they pulled over near the creek, they had David follow Brogan and Beasley down the hill. Then they turned around to go back up, with David leading. Brogan said he needed to go to the bathroom, and as he finished and turned around, he heard a crack and saw David lying face down on the ground. Hmm. So, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe Brogan didn't know it was really going to go that far. Maybe they just thought that's why he needs me. We'll jump him and then, you know, he'll be fine. I don't know. Who's, At that who's point, I think he was just scared and going like afraid to say no to Beasley and was just doing whatever. Yeah. So around this time, you remember that show Storage Wars, which I really liked. Um, I loved that show. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't we talk about buying storages for a while, you and yeah. me? Yeah. Around yeah. around this time. Yeah, whenever we wanted to open up our own thrift store. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So great show. Uh anyway, it was big during that time. And he, Beasley thought that he like he just thought that he was gonna start telling people that all of this stuff that he accumulates just randomly getting a Harley, he would find in storage units. Um, so he started telling people that he did that sort of thing and that's how he got buyers for people to buy David's stuff. 
He had Christmas lights, model trains, tackle boxes, and Jeff Gordon memorabilia, which probably at that time was very big. Um, He also started selling to his neighbors and at flea markets. So just, and that's like, you can't track this guy. And that's like David's whole life in that U-Haul. And he's just selling it at flea markets into people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the money didn't last long, uh, but Beasley wasn't really concerned. He already had another victim lined up, Scott Davis. Which was only like a week or two later, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure like... And, and having to sell stuff like that at flea markets and stuff, you have no guarantee of what you're going to get. So he probably yeah. got $40. Right. And then, too, like, what is he thinking at this point? Like, this is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Like, this is way more work than, again, just getting a job. Yeah. And not not to mention you are ending someone's life, but obviously he has no problem with that. Just, like bare bone facts this is way more work than just working at a job with way more risk and at some point people are gonna start realizing that everybody that comes to Akron disappears (laughs) oh yeah and to think like because he's on the run right so he would have to realistically if he wanted to like not be on the run anymore he'd have to get enough money to be able to fly to like Mexico or something and that's not gonna, how many people are you thinking in your mind you're going to have to kill to be able to get that, especially if all the money you just made is gone already. It's gone. Yeah. After two weeks of living this guy. Yeah. Um, so he had another victim, like I said, already lined up Scott Davis before Scott had even packed up his trailer. Beasley told his landlord that he'd won a bid on a great storage unit that had a flat screen TV, a computer, lawn care equipment, and a Harley. He told Brogan that he thought he could get about $30,000 out of Scott's property, and it would be enough to get him through the winter. Now, I don't know where, I don't know. I guess he already has a house, but you'd think a dead body would bring more heat to the area. Did he really think that nobody was going to find these people? For the long term? I guess. I mean... And the the way he is, like, heartlessly putting price tags on people's lives Mm -hmm. is just disgusting. And he's not, like, killing for fun. No, just money. Quote, like, you know, serial killers or murderers do. He's literally just doing this for money, and it's not even a lot of money. No, no. So now let's back up to the Scott situation. Okay. So we heard from Scott's perspective in part one, what he did after he was shot, but what happened with Beasley? So he tried to shoot him. The gun jammed. He shot him once and then Scott ran. So Beasley comes running back to the car screaming. He got away to Brogan and he climbed into the Buick. He said, if they saw Davis, he wanted to hit him with a car, which wasn't even his car. It was Brogan's car. Mm hmm. Um, he said, uh, yeah, so they couldn't find him though. So they tried to find him, couldn't find him. So they headed back to the highway. Beasley Good thing sur- he hid. No kidding. If he would have went to the road, let he saw, they would have freaking ran his ass over. Right. So Beasley, as the car is moving, he starts tossing things out the car, like shovels, a leather jacket, air fresheners, and even his laptop. 
If Scott made it to the police, he didn't want the Buick to be easy to identify. He refused to get rid of the rosary beads that were hanging from the rearview mirror, though, because that was a gift from his grandma. So he's like, everything else, I don't know, really, you wouldn't have to get rid of everything. It would look odd if you got rid of everything. Yeah. Like, like it's not. Who has a clean car? No, Right. Not a single soul. Especially probably a Buick, because I, whenever I had my Oldsmobile, it was a trash can. <laughs> you live out of that thing. You do. <laughs> you do. They went back to Akron, where Brogan thought they would lie low, but that didn't happen. He decided to try to find another victim. On Sunday, November 13th, one week after trying to kill Scott, Beasley and Brogan picked up Timothy Kern in the parking lot outside a pizza place in Canton. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Where he had spent the night sleeping in his car. Kern was from Akron, 47 years old and divorced. He had recently lost his job as a street cleaner. What terrible luck. Yeah. Beasley had a mental inventory of the items he thought Kern was bringing with him, and as soon as he got in the car, Beasley started asking him about it. He asked about the laptop he had mentioned, and Kern told him no, he left it behind with his sons, Zachary and Nicholas. No flat screen TV either. Those were left behind. All he had brought was a bag full of clothes and cassette tapes that he could easily fit in the car, which was a late 80s sedan that barely ran. So he's got nothing. 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 And Brogan knew that he didn't have anything. So killing him would literally be for absolutely nothing. Brogan said it would be like if a lion killed a zebra just to kill it, just because it wanted a hoof or something. The man had literally $5 in his pocket. Brogan said that the man gave literally everything he had to his sons who weren't much older than him at the time. He told investigators that it was sad that his family had broken up, but he obviously really loved his kids. I do not like where this is going. No. Because we're talking like he's gone and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. On Facebook, Kern had posted about the opportunity as a good offer, but came with drawbacks because he would be more than two hours away from his kids with no cell phone service. Kern and his ex-wife, Tina, had divorced in 1997, and Zach and Nick were 19 and 17, but he had seen them every day, even if it meant waiting at their house until after Tina had left for work. What a guy. Like, just trying to love his kids. Right. In the 90s, he was a sound engineer at a local club, but lost it in the 2000s and had a hard time finding a new one. He lived with his parents for a few years, but his father had kicked him out. After that, no one really knew where he slept. So probably in his car. Probably, but he's still coming around Mm -hmm. to be with with his kids. Yeah. So Brogan knew they weren't going to take Kern to the same spot that they shot Davis because they didn't get him. Instead, they took him to a narrow wooded area behind a mall on the western edge of Akron. Beasley had Brogan dig a grave the night before, but he had done kind of a sloppy job. It was barely two feet deep and was really uneven. Uh, The mall is known to locals as the dead mall, as many of the businesses had closed after the recession, except for a furniture liquidator. So there was nobody around. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, nowadays, that's the dead mall is any mall. Right. 
Beasley had told Kern they had been there squirrel hunting earlier and that he had lost his watch. Kern followed Beasley into the woods behind the mall that had trash everywhere from a party kids had back there. Brogan kept his distance but heard a pop. He saw Kern on his knees holding the side of his head and was gulping for air. Three shots later, he was still gulping. After the fifth shot, he had stopped. Yeah. Terrible. And and while nobody would be there during the day because it's a dead mall, obviously kids still go there at night and party. So somebody is going to find this body. So he's not even like, he's just not not a care. There was no, and there was no reason for this one at all. No. (sighs) No. That night, Nick, Kern's son, tried to call his dad, but didn't get an answer. After a few days of no return calls, he started to get worried. A week later, Nick was at a friend's house when his mother told him to come home immediately, that she had something she needed to tell him. He demanded she tell him now, explaining he knew something was wrong because his dad still had not called. He was correct. His father was dead. That is so awful. Yeah. Senseless. Uh, Brogan was convicted of three counts of aggravated murder. In 2013, he was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. So they threw the book at this kid. He should have took that plea deal. Normally, I am always like, our justice is too light. But in this case, ugh. Yeah, young kid, his whole life now is ruined because of yeah. this guy. And I mean, he he dug the graves, but he didn't kill anybody. He could have been reformed. I oh, mean, yeah. obviously, he did not do anything to stop this when he should have 100% stopped this a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So, like, should he be in trouble? Absolutely. But I think that he's reformable, whereas a lot of people I don't think are when there are violent crimes like this involved. Well, and obviously, like, right after that happened and he wrote that poem, he was upset about it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he there was remorse there whenever a lot of times there is no remorse or they're faking it. Like, obviously, he didn't expect anybody to find this letter or poem. Right. He was, yeah, he was writing it because that was his feelings. I just, yeah, uh, that's kind of sad. It is really sad. He should definitely be punished, but I think that he was probably reformable. I mean, absolutely. Wow. Beasley received the death penalty in 2013. In 2020, Beasley was resentenced because of a procedural error during his first sentencing, but the overall result went unchanged. He was still sentenced to death and to serve consecutive sentences for his other crimes. He remains at Chillicothe Correctional Institution in Ohio. Yes, yeah. close. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in this, like, if you see other pictures of him, he's like a crazed, he looks crazed. And in this picture of him in the courtroom, he looks like freaking Santa Claus. He does. Like, jolly face and the beard and the white hair. I mean, yeah you're not fooling us dude (laughs) right santa claus would never do that no he gives gifts he doesn't take them he's right where he belongs (laughs) yeah absolutely 
So I learned about this crime and apparently there's like three other Craigslist killers. We mm-hmm. talked about that. Um, this one I'd never heard of before. I've heard of the Craigslist killer, but this is not the story I knew. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a show on A&E called I Survived a Serial Killer. And Scott Davis is on on this. So if you want to watch him tell his tale, it's a really good show. Um, and then there's also another show out there called Killer in My Family that also showcases the crime. So I think it's I think I watched that one, too, if I'm thinking of the right one. And I think Brogan's father talks mm-hmm. about everything. So I'd be interested in watching both of those. They, they were really good. Um, just crazy, crazy. And you hear from like the family members. I think the um, two sons, uh, Zachary mm-hmm. and Nicholas, are uh, talking there. Just terrible stuff, man. Just terrible for nothing. That's awful. Right. Um, so my sources, I went to oxygen.com, absolutecrime.com, cleveland.com, theatlantic.com, and then those two shows that I said earlier. Um so yeah, I mean, wowzers! Don't just don't on on Craigslist. No Craigslist. No no jobs on Craigslist. No nothing, especially at a six hundred and eighty eight acre ranch. That's a no all every time. Hundred percent. No, thank you. He he might if you're on Facebook and you see it, still no. Definitely still no. Be safe they, out there, folks. <laughs> yes, and whenever you go pick up something off marketplace, tell somebody where you're going or Tell bring somebody where you're going and meet them in a parking lot that is crowded or <laughs> i found at or a our police station yeah at our local police station there's a spot that you can like specifically mm-hmm. that's monitored by a camera that you can do exchanges so that's the way to do it it is bring somebody and tell somebody even if you're bringing somebody <laughs> where you're going <laughs> right <laughs> tell everybody post on facebook So all your friends and family know where you are at all times. (laughs) Well, you got anything else to say about this? No, just that it's real sad and a shame. A tragedy for many folks. For for the people that died, for Brogan. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of victims here. For Brogan's family, I'm sure they feel terrible because they let Mm -hmm. their son in the clutches of this freaking idiot. Yeah all around well we hope you enjoyed episode 129 part two of the craigslist killer richard beasley and we hope you have a good week we'll see you next time bye bye